Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and I'm your host. Uh, I'm going to beg your indulgence just a little bit this week. Um, my insomnia has been acting up. And I'm on less sleep than I would like to normally have, but, well, it happens. Hopefully we get that fixed in this week, so if I'm a little off... And blame the insomnia, which, yeah, I don't like insomnia. It sucks. But on the agenda this evening, we have um, a preview. UFC on ESPN Plus 87. It's, yeah, we'll get into it. But there's no event to review. We had a week off. Um, I think, in general, the UFC was staying out of the way of Canelo. Uh, because we had the Canelo-Charlo fight, which I'll talk a little bit about. Um not a ton of news worth a lot of discussion here. Uh, I mean, there's a few things. Sorry, there should not a lot of news items that are going to take a tremendous amount of time individually. So we're going to get just some general kind of combat sports news um, yeah, around the world of boxing and MMA and whatnot. So we don't. I don't think we'll go too in depth on any of those, but something to pay attention to. And yeah, just again, news of the week. We should be back into the review preview swing for a good chunk of October, but it's the end of the year. The UFC spaces stuff out around the holidays. You know how it is. So that's on the agenda. All right. Um, if you could please like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever is applicable to your podcast platform of choice. And I know podcast platforms are becoming scarce. Uh, what are they? Uh, I think they're shutting down. What is it? Google Play? I think that I think it's getting shut down later. Or they're migrating it to more migrating it, uh, migrating it to YouTube. So I don't know. Um, I don't know how any of you guys listen to this show. There's a few different. I mean, again, there's still a fair amount of different uh, podcast platforms, but um, some of them, are, again, some of them are dwindling or going away. So Apple, Apple Podcasts, which I think is still a thing. Um, again, we're on YouTube, uh, if you want to use that, uh, or again, if you're using a different podcast platform that isn't going to fold in the next little bit, <laughs> uh, then feel free to continue using that. But whatever works for your podcast platform of choice, please interact with the product or share if you've done that and you can only do it once. Let people know about the show you think they'd enjoy it if you think i'd annoy them or if you think the dulcet tones of my voice would lull small children to sleep i i'm fine with any and all of that so uh thank you in advance i appreciate the heck out of all of you guys if there's any girls listening i appreciate you too but most of the demographic information i have says i'm like 99.99 listed male um So, again, it's internet inf internet um, informational breakdown. Take it for what it's worth. All right. Uh, yeah, that's that's it for the preamble. Uh, that's all I've got. So let's get into the preview because that'll be, that'll be fun. So UFC on ESPN plus 87. It's not a great card on paper. Um, but I've seen worse. So, I'll give it that credit. I've seen worse than this one. 
Uh, your main event, Grant Dawson and Bobby Green. Because he's main eventing, they bumped Dawson up to number 10 in the rankings. Those things are a joke. UFC was talking a little bit about potentially expanding them from the top 15 to the top 20. I mean, sure. Uh, I don't know. I kind of think that's a little stupid, but I'm just me. So that's... Again, that's a thought, but they those fluctuate based largely upon the promotional needs rather than necessarily merit from top to bottom, but eh, what are you going to do? I don't have much of a reason to... Look, I'm not saying Bobby Green is incapable of winning this fight. We still got a couple of questions about Dawson, over, especially over five rounds. Um, has he? He's never gone five. I don't think he's ever been scheduled for five. No, as far as I can tell, he has not ever been scheduled for five rounds. Um, he's... And he's had weight issues. Um, he had more weight issues when he was a featherweight. But even at lightweight now, he had that miss against Mark Madsen. Been an issue. But he's a really good fighter. Five rounds is still a question mark, but that's kind of why you make the fights like this. He's a smothering wrestler. He's a relentless wrestler. He uses you know, kind of the Khabib meta. And that's been a problem for Bobby Green. Now, Dawson will get into a little bit of a firefight to facilitate his takedowns. But he's not going to do much with that. And Dawson might be able... Excuse me. Green might be able to hit Dawson a few times. His jab will probably connect a little bit. He's got a pretty good jab. I do kind of just overall question, you know, um, how effective he's going to be consistently against this kind, uh, against a guy with the style of Dawson. Um, Dawson a little more loose and free, a little more like Khabib than like Makashev, but Makashev had some very similar... Um, I imagine we'll see something similar to what Makashev did. It's kind of going to be the game plan of Grant. The question is, you know, can he pull it off that seamlessly? I mean, that seamlessly seems very unlikely, but we'll find out. I don't have a whole lot of reason to pick against Dawson here. His only loss in his career was back in 2016. He got stopped in 30 seconds, but... He's looked really good since then. Has he had any real... He had an issue with Ricky Glenn. He gassed pretty bad in that fight. Um, and then Glenn got a 10-8 third to kind of force the draw. Uh, he seemed to kind of sort that out against Jared Gordon and again Mark Madsen, though Madsen not exactly great shakes in the cardio department down the stretch. Um, he, kind, and he kind of just out-wrestled his Magulov. I still th- I still have very good reason to pick Dawson here. I'm not going to be terribly surprised if Bobby Green pulls this off, but it would be a it would be a notable upset. Do we have the odds on this? Just out of idle curiosity. Yeah, Dawson about a three to one, minus three hundred. Yeah, that tracks. That tracks. 
I, I genuinely think that's about right. I'm going to go with Dawson. Um, he's younger. He's more on the ascension. He's got a style that's troubled green in the past. This is not the strongest main event. Is um, I don't know if that's a lot of people turning down the Dawson fight. I don't know if it's just a matter of timing. I don't know if they're trying to get him a decently recognizable win. Bobby Green has something of a name. Dude's been he's been starting to get his props lately. You know the the fan base has started reacting to him more positively. Um, so they're trying to build Dawson up here, and you know that's that. Like Bobby Green's not going to give you an easy win. You have to take that from him. I still like Dawson's chances here. Uh, Co-main event, Joe Pfeiffer and Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. So, Pfeiffer's had his, what, two fights in the UFC? It's two or three. And that's kind of the point when, even if the UFC likes you coming off the Contender Series, they stop giving you softer touches. Uh, Al-Hassan is a guy who is kind of going to indulge Joe Pfeiffer's fighting sensibilities. That's led to Alisson having a very up-and-down record in the UFC. Um, his middleweight run thus far has been 2-2. Two and two. Had that tough fight with Jacob Malkoon where he got out-wrestled, but he knocked out Alessio DiCirico. Had that tough fight with Joaquin Buckley. You could have... I don't think I scored it for him. But you, um, but you know, it was one of those weird fights. They were both just so gassed by the third round. Who knew? Uh, then he knocked out Claudio Hiberio last time out. This is this is Pfeiffer's step up. It's you're no longer okay. You've had you've had your introductory period, your free month of uh, your three month your free month long trial has expired. Now we're really going after it. Um. My hunch might still be to lean towards Pfeiffer. It's not a knock on Al-Hassan. It's just both guys are very... They fight very similarly. Al-Hassan's experience might wind up working to his advantage. Uh, it depends if he tries to take it late or not. The other thing is size. Al-Hassan is yoked up at middleweight. He's a thick guy. But... Um, Pfeiffer is a slightly more natural middleweight, like height-wise. Alisson wound up going there because his, again, he was just a little bit too thick in the frame to consistently make welterweight. But if you look at his height, that's a bit more suited to 170 than to 185. Might be something to keep an eye on. I'm still gonna lean towards Pfeiffer. It's it, it's kind of the spot where they're gonna give him a step up, but they're gonna do what they can to make it reasonable. Not going to be shocked if Alisson wins, mind you. But again, reasonable. It's a reasonable chance uh, for Pfeiffer to win this. The one after this is going to be where he's kind of thrown to the wolves, because that's the pattern. So, going to lean towards Pfeiffer just a bit, but um, pretty close one there. Uh, welterweight, Alex Morono and Joaquin Buckley. Interesting that, again, Buckley and uh, Alisson fought at middleweight. Buckley was the one who wound up dropping to welterweight. Um, and he looked pretty darn good, actually. 
when he knocked out uh, Andre Fialho last time out. Buckley's it's not just the you know explosiveness he's able to do with you know, you saw when he knocked out uh, Impa Kasanganai with that jump spinning back kick. Wonderful knockout. Genuinely wonderful knockout. Uh, slightly by contrast, Morono on a pretty decent run. He had the loss to Santiago Ponzinibbio, but he's what five and one in his last six, three, four, five. Yeah, coming off the win over Tim Means, he got a guillotine choke in the second round. I expect some fun here. Um, Morono will oblige a bit of a striking contest. He's a very reactive grappler, more than a proactive one. Which is fine. You know, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, but you you don't see him do a lot of like, offensive wrestling and whatnot. Which is an interesting call because he's pretty good when it comes to the grappling. But he'd rather go in there and, you know, swing. And fair play. He's been very successful with it. I imagine he'll have a harder time having a lot of success with that. Uh, against Buckley, who's a very good, good striker, good power. Um, it's a tough one. It's a well-matched, this is a well-matched fight in that particular respect. So, how do you lean? I'm going to lean Buckley just a bit. I think Morona will be a bit too accommodating of what Buckley's very good at. Um, in fairness, the longer this goes, the more it might favor Morona. We've seen him over the distance hold up better than Buckley has. So there's that to, there's that element to consider. So and that's a pretty good fight. Lightweights, um, Drew Dober and Ricky Glenn. Drew Dober coming off of that setback um, when Matt Frivola stopped him. The first time he'd ever been stopped with strikes. Let me double check that. I think it is. So, yeah, first two lo career losses were decisions. Okay, no, 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 back in 2011, he got stopped with punches. So, you know, 10 years, 12 years? April of 11? Yeah, a little over 12 years. Um, Dober's a really solid guy. Glenn's going to try to wrestle him, because that's what Glenn does. Glenn got knocked out by Christos Yagos last time, though. Yeah, I'm, go I'm going with Dober. He's got pretty good counter-wrestling, and he's got power. Uh, you can't you, know, you can't pretend that he doesn't have that. So, uh, go with Dober there. Light heavyweight Felipe Linz and Iwan Kutalaba. Linz has looked okay since moving to light heavyweight. 3-0 uh, and in the UFC in that weight class. Um, what is his previous? Has he technically never lost at light heavyweight? No, okay, sorry. Yeah, he didn't... Um, actually, for a while, he hadn't lost at heavyweight. That's how that went. Uh, but three in a row. Got a finish in there. I mean, oh, when St. Pru in 2023, it doesn't mean much. The Grishin win was pretty solid. Um, Kutalaba is, you know, a wild man. Did he, get, did he have a pretty decent win over Tanner Bozier last time out to halt a losing streak? His cardio is still such an issue. 
And Linz is pretty solid. Like, he's just going to stick around and stay there where you don't want him to be, so... Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to lean towards Linz here. He seems to have found himself again a light heavyweight in the UFC, and he's really kind of finding his, finding his groove there, so I'll go with Linz. Alright, um, let's see, next up, kicking off the main card, featherweights, pretty good fight here. Uh, Alex Hernandez and Bill Algio. Hernandez at featherweight has been interesting. Um, lost his featherweight debut. It was featherweight debut in the UFC, rather, to Billy Quarantillo. Got a unanimous decision over Jim Miller. Uh, which he kind of got by... It was a weird fight. But it came together on short notice. I don't hold it against either guy in that respect. Um, he's a good fighter, but he struggles a bit down the stretch in general. One of the things he kind of fixed a little bit in the Miller fight was... He kind of got his pacing and his cardio a bit more under control, so that was a good sign. Algio, I don't think he's going to quite push the pace that Billy Quarantillo did, because that was just bonkers. I mean, that's how Billy Q fights. Um, Algio's been a little up and down in the UFC. Has he been out for a bit? No, he fought in April when he beat TJ Brown. Had that tough loss to Andre Feely. You could have scored that for him. I think I scored it for Feely, but... Uh, he made Herbert Burns quit... Or his rough ones. His debut was against uh, Ricardo Lamas. He lost. That was a fight of the night, though. Spike Carlisle fight was pretty good. Um, I'm just not completely sold on Hernandez at featherweight at the moment. If I'm going to be honest, that I still need to see that he's got his cardio. That was the other thing about the Miller fight was it was a lightweight, and. I'm going to lean towards Algio here just a bit, but that's mo and that's mostly because I'm not sure about Hernandez at this weight class. We'll see, though. If he beats Bill Algio, that'll actually be a pretty good endorsement of uh, what he's able about, you know, his chances of succeeding long-term in the division. That's your main card. That's for the prelims. Let's see, we got strawweight action, Karolina Kovalkiewicz and Diana Belbicha. Um... Kovalkiewicz enjoying a little bit of a renaissance. Um, Three-fight winning streak. How many of those were like... Okay, she's been getting... Uh, her losing streak went against was against the following people. Jessica Andrade knocked her out back in 2018. Michelle Waterson beat her in 19. Alexa Grosso beat her in 19. Yan Non beat her in 20. Now... The Watterson loss there is troubling, but Watterson was enjoying a bit of another resurgence in 19. The armbar loss to Jessica Penne in 2021, was a that was troubling. She took a step down in competition, fought Felice Herrig, and her last three wins. Felice Herrig, Silvana Gomez-Juarez, and uh, Vanessa Demopoulos. She's not taking a big step up from that class here to face Deanna Belbicha. Um, Belbicha's two and three in the UFC. This might actually be a step back, depending on how you want to look at things. Um, I'm okay picking Kovalkiewicz there. Bantamweight Chris Gutierrez and Montel Jackson. It's not a bad fight. Um, Gutierrez lost to Pedro Munoz his last time out. It was a pretty tough fight. Before that, he like he knocked out Frankie Edgar in Edgar's retirement fight. Um, because MMA is cruel. Like that. 
That was his, just his second loss in the UFC. His first loss, he fought um, Hani Barcelos in his UFC debut. That's a tough draw, man. Barcelos, for a while, was very good. Then he didn't lose again until he fought uh, Munoz. Let's see, Jackson, by contrast. How are we doing here? Uh, very impressive, actually. 7-1 and one in the UFC. Wins over Brian Kelleher, Andre Sukumtot, Felipe Colares. Jesse Strader, J.P. Baez, Julio Arce, and Ronnie Yaya. Coming off the Yaya win. Only loss in there is to Brett Johns, who was on a pretty good run at the time. What's he done lately? Yeah, for some reason, the UFC cut him in 2020. Didn't really understand that one. I mean, it, dude, Brett Johns only lost in the UFC to Aljamain Sterling and Pedro Munoz. His only losses, period, are Sterling, Munoz, and then in Bellator, he lost to Danny Sabatello. He's good. So that's a pretty solid fight. Um, Gutierrez, 32. Jackson, 31. Age not going to be a big factor there. I'm going to lean just a hair towards Gutierrez. This is a bit of a step up for Jackson, the likes of which he hasn't seen, I think, probably since the Johns fight, which was double prospects. But since then, again, Strader, Bays, Arce, and Yaya. I respect Yaya, but he's not... He's a little bit over the hill. I'm going to lean towards Gutierrez there, but good fight. Still a bantamweight. Orichi Long and Johnny Munoz, Jr. Um, Orichi Long got knocked up by Eamon Zahabi back in June. That was a rough one. He's 2-3 and three in the UFC. The first two losses were at flyweight. Then he moved back to bantamweight. Got a couple of wins over Cameron Els and Jay Perrin before Zahabi stopped him. Uh, Munoz, two and three in the UFC as well. Um, lost his debut at featherweight, I think, to Nate Manis, then went back to bantamweight. Beat Jamie Simmons, lost to Tony Gravely, beat Ludovic Sholinan, then lost to Daniel Santos. I'm surprised. Not really surprised he lost that, but. Uh, there was a point deduction in that fight as well that kind of complicated the math a little bit. That's a tough fight for both guys. <clears throat> um, believe it or not. I might lean towards Ardichi Long. Yeah, I think I will just a bit. Uh, let's see. We've got... The order might be a little bit wonky here, so forgive me, but... Uh, let's go with Nate Manis and Mateusz Mendonc. Um, Manis, excuse me, Main, Manis. Uh, he's three and two in the UFC, but he's on a three-fight, excuse me, you know, two-fight losing streak. Granted, Umar Nurmagomedov beat him, who's, you know, that guy might be champion. Then he dropped to flyweight and lost to Tiger Ulanbekov. That's actually a troubling loss. Ulanbekov... No, oh, sorry, confusing uh, Tiger Ulanbekov with somebody else with a very similar name. Um, he's only lost to Tim Elliott in the UFC. Um, so again, back up at bantamweight here. I think that's a little bit better. Oh, sorry, we're still at flyweight. Manus at flyweight. I don't know. That's that's a bit tough one. Um, Mendonch. 
had a pretty decent UFC debut, if I recall, or at least a decent fight. Um, he might have lost that. Let me double check him. He is ten and one. I think he won his UFC date. No, he lost it. Oh right, right. Javed Basharat beat him. I think his, sorry, his contender series fight went really well. Uh, that ended in like less than a minute. He's got a few decent names on his resume coming up. Uh, in kind of like the Brazilian regional scene. Let me lean towards Mendonch here just a bit. Um, is Mendonch dropping for the first time too? Hang on, I must check this. I feel like that Basharat fight was at bantamweight. Um, yeah, it was. Okay, so he's dropping to... F oh, that, that muddies things, actually. <laughs> Glad I double-checked that. First time at flyweight? I'm going to assume it's first time at flyweight. Actually, let me lean towards Manus there. Um, yeah, going to lean towards Manus, but that one... There's some parody there. That one could go either way. Uh, we have another strawweight fight. Kanako Murata and Vanessa Demopoulos. Um, Kanako. Wait, has that already been Anglicanized or Anglicized or Westernized or however you want to say that or not? I'm not... How is she listed on the UFC site? Okay, she's listed there as Kanako Murata. They've gotten... The UFC's actually gotten better about... Listing those names, listing um, Eastern, um, Oriental. I I know there's some people who take issue with that word, but just go with me here. You know, um, because China, Japan, um, South Korea actually, like they list surnames before first names and surnames before given names. So the UFC will. For a while, they were terrible about listing them because people from that culture introduced themselves, surname, given name. And the UFC would just kind of be like, oh, okay, so your first name is actually... They got it backwards a lot in their listings. They're better about listing them correctly now, so I'm going to assume that this is listed properly. And I think Morata would be the surname then, or the family name. So... I apologize if I'm referring to her too informally here. I'm just, for the sake of, uh, for the sake of discussion, I'm just going to go with uh, Murata here. And again, if I'm incorrect, I apologize. Um, Murata had a pretty good first UFC fight. She's a, she's a good wrestler. Actually, a really good wrestler. Um, but then she had that, she had the weird arm injury against Verna Janjiroba. Um, is that from an armbar or something similar? There was some scramble on the ground that messed up her arm. They stopped it between rounds. She, like, that happened during the round. She saw out the round. And then afterwards, they're like, yeah, your arm's screwed. Let's not. Um, yeah, yeah, there was an armbar from Janjiroba that dislocated the elbow. And she fought out the round because insanely tough. Been out for a while, though. That was in June of 21. But, you know, some injuries can take time to heal. Demopolis has been pretty up and down 
Um, general UFC record is three and two. Lost to JJ Aldridge. It was a flyweight. She returned to strawweight. Had a three-fight winning streak. The Jin Fry decision was iffy. But the Kovalkiewicz win was pretty good. That's a tough one, man. Murata's wrestling is... That's going to be a problem for Demopolis. Uh, she's a good jiu-jitsu practitioner. Uh, you know, it's kind of a general rule. Let's wait for that fight. There's no way. Sorry, I gotta double check this. Yeah, Demopolis missed weight when she fought Kovalkiewicz. Weird weight miss. Because she's not very tall for the weight class. I mean, she's... How tall is she? Yeah, she's only 5'2". Um... The layoff for Murata is a bit of a question mark. Uh, deserves to be said. I'm still going to lean towards Murata. That, that strong wrestling base, I, I think it'll give Demopolis some problems. Prolonged jiu-jitsu battles might favor Demopolis, but I don't think Murata's going to get caught up in those. Um, could be wrong, though. She could get armbarred again. We'll find out. And then, kicking everything off, we have Flyweight, uh, Montana De La Rosa, and J.J. Aldrich. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I do not care about this fight at all. De La Rosa has... Uh, she had a pretty decent period of inactivity, I seem to recall. I'm misremembering that. Um, Cause she like fought on the finale of an Ultimate Fighter season. One, but like didn't get picked up by the promotion, and then fought on another Ultimate Fighter finale. Or I don't remember exactly how that worked. Um. Oh right, right. No, no, I remember. She was part of that season, got signed, and then just didn't fight again until the next tough finale, whatever. Um, she has losses to... She lost to Andrea Lee, her first UFC loss. Um, lost to Viviani Arujo. Beat Arianne Lipski. That's a pretty decent win. Then lost to Macy Barber. Tough fight. And then lost to Tatiana Suarez. And I'm not going to hold that too much against you, because Suarez is a monster. But... That's not a great recent record. I mean, somewhat by contrast, you got Aldrich, who's... She got run over by Aaron Blanchfield. Then had a very lifeless outing against Ariane Lipsky. She followed that up by beating Leong Na, um, August. So fairly recently. I'm gonna... Let me lean towards De La Rosa here, but... I don't know. That's, look, that's two, like, career mid-card flyweights, so. Kind of is what it is in that respect. Alright, and that's the card. You know, it's not the best thing I've ever seen on paper, but in all fairness, there's only one light heavyweight fight. <laughs> and, look, if this is... I doubt this will be the worst card I cover in practice. We've had some, we've had some dogs this year. Got to be honest about that one. But, you know, it, look, if it winds up being the worst card I cover all year, I will happily say so. I'm not shy about it. But Saturday, 
411mania.com, MMA Zone. I will have you covered, so stop by, say hello. Always appreciate it. Alright, um, let's do some combat sports roundup from the week. Okay, my... Here's how I'm going to do this. Uh, the timestamps and the list of chapters and whatnot that I'm going to have. It's This is only going to be listed as one, but I will list under it the subheadings. I'm just not going to timestamp all the ones under there, so you just... Might have to guess a little bit on that, but I don't expect I'm going to be talking for hours about it, each of these individually. So, biggest fight of the weekend, boxing side of things, Canelo Alvarez defeats uh, Jermel Charlo via unanimous decision. Um, there was a knockdown for Canelo in, I think it was the 7th, um, 7 or 8, forgive me, I can't remember. Um, one judge had, it was 12 rounds, so one judge had it 11 to 1. Um, the other two judges were 10 to 2 in round totals. I think that's fair. Like, look, the most super generous scorecard you could give Charlo here gave him like three rounds. And that's super generous. I could see two. There was one round, uh, I think it was five, that... I think we were all kind of comfortable giving to Charlo. Six, you could argue. Six was a little bit... So this was a this was a relatively low output fight. Neither guy sets the highest pace in the world. Canelo has been slowing down a bit. He tried to fix a little bit of his diet and some of his training practices ahead of this one. He didn't get tired here. I'll give him... The, I'll acknowledge that with the caveat... Canelo's one of the best boxers in the world. If any world-class boxer should be able to fight 12 rounds at a pace they set. Now, Canelo is obviously not just world-class, he's one of the best. Which means he demonstrated that his cardio and his general conditioning was really good if he's in control. In the past, he's been okay on the back foot on occasion. One of the things that, that we've kind of all kind of pointed to is like, you know, dude's got over 60 fights. He started fighting when he was professionally when he was 15 years old. He it's catching up to him a little bit. He started more noticeably slowing down in the later rounds when pushed outside of his preferred pace. That's actually how Bivol. There's a lot of reasons Dimitri Bivol beat him. Forcing Canelo to fight at a pace that he couldn't sustain was a big part of that. So, uh, Charlo just never did that. He never forced him out of his rhythm, forced him out of his pace. This was not a this was not the most entertaining fight in the world. There were a few things that if you're a big kind of technique junkie, you could pick up on. Charlo landed a couple of pretty decent left hooks, but Canelo in, again, 60-some-odd fights. He had a ton of title fights, too, man. Um, he's had almost 20 title fights. I think this was number 16, which is an insane amount, and a lot of those went late. One of the things about Canelo, he carries his power late, but you know, he's fought the distance plenty of times. And, yes, he's gotten some dodgy decisions. There's at least three fights on his resume that he got his hand raised, and I didn't think he won. Cards on the table there. 
I didn't think he beat Triple G in either of their first... I mean, the first fight was a draw. Heinous scoring in that one. I thought Triple G beat him twice. The third ra the third fight, I was more sympathetic to scoring that for Canelo. Not so much the first two. Um, there was one other one that, given the circumstances under which I watched it, I thought he lost. Now, some of that was like sound related, so I went back and I rewatched that fight at a later date, and I understood scoring it for Canelo. It, it became less egregious, but I still kind of think he lost. But so he's got a few of those wins in there that are dodgy. They're like, you know, preferred fighter, biggest star in boxing. You get the tie goes to you, and even not some ties go to you, but you know what I mean. Um, but in general, you know, he's one of the he's one of the best. Like the he's a hero to a lot of people, and that kind of prevents a sober assessment. And then to a good chunk of the other people, he's you, they really kind of nitpick his resume, and I'm not saying you can't, but they do because, you know, again, he's gotten decisions, he's gotten the benefit of every possible doubt. Dude, some wasn't there one of those B-Vol scorecards that was like a draw? Which is, whoever did that should be just, have their, eh, I'm not going to say anything mean. It demonstrates a severe level of incompetence. I mean, severe level of incompetence and favoritism. That's how I'm going to leave that. Um, but he got to fight at his preferred pace, walked Charlo down, got him into the ropes. Pretty good body work, showed off a pretty good chin. Oh, that was the other thing about Canelo. So Charlo landed a couple of good left hooks, which is Charlo's best punch. Only, there was one exchange when Canelo seemed like moderately bothered. And I, when I say moderately bothered, I mean it's he took half a step back, reset, and came forward. Like Canelo in all those fights against all those great fighters has never been dropped, much less finished. You know, once it became clear that Charlo's game plan wasn't working, and Charlo does a lot of what Canelo does in... Not in technical application, but in strategic fights. He likes to carry power a little bit later. It saved him, actually. He's been down on the scorecards a couple of times, Charlo has, and then scored a late stoppage. He's got a couple of preferred weapons. And unfortunately, just his game matched up very, very poorly with Canelo's. Uh, the big talk coming out of this is Terrence Crawford wants to fight Canelo. One of the bigger fights that could be made. Um, Crawford, bless him, finally getting the respect he deserves after his... Dude, what he did to Errol Spence, man. That was a... There's almost not words. That was a superlative performance when he beat up and eventually stopped uh, Errol Spence. We're probably going to get that rematch. Spence has invoked the rematch clause, so unless he changes his mind, we're going to get it. But after that, you know, that's a pretty big jump for Crawford. That's, what, three weight classes? Fights at, um, he's undisputed, Crawford is, I think, at, um, at welterweight now, 147. 
he can make the Spence rematch have to happen at 147. He gets to term, he gets to determine the weight. That that was the condition was for this for their fight was the loser for the Spence for Spence Crawford. The loser could invoke the rematch. However, the winner got to determine the weight class, whether one, generally being 147 or 154. Um, and so Crawford can kind of choose which of those two classes he wants to fight. He didn't. Both he and Spence have intimated they're done at 147. So the thought was going to be we'll move up. It'll be at 154. The weight cut seems to favor Crawford in the fight as far as he matches up with Spence. So he might choose to stick to 147 again. But, you know, Canelo's undisputed at super middleweight, which is 168. So, yeah, that's three weight classes from 147. We'd be bypassing 154 and then one, what, 60 or 162? Be the other one we're skipping. And then to fight Canelo at 168. Yeah, that's a big jump. Um, Frame-wise, that would not favor Crawford. Uh, 154, I think, might be ideal for him. With maybe the occasional moonlights up at, again, around 160. But 168, that's a big leap. Um, But Crawford, especially if he gets by Spence again, and good grief. I'm not saying the rematch goes exactly the same as that first fight between him and Spence, but he completely audited Errol Spence and found him wanting. Um, he'd, he'd intimated again, maybe fighting Jermall Charlo, not Jermall, um, Jermall. I don't know. There's, again, eh, that's up and down, but... Crawford and Canelo might be one of those super rare but super dream fights in the world of boxing. I would favor Canelo. There's a size disparity there that just is going to give Bud problems. That said, man, I will be rooting for Bud. If that fight gets made, I will be rooting for uh, for Bud Crawford. Um, so anyway, that's where that is. Um, Canelo seems amenable to that. He's looking for bigger fights. For a while, he was talking about wanting to go back up to light heavyweight and fight Bivol again. It's a bad fight for you, my man. I don't... Dude, there's a reason he picked Bivol, because Bivol presented less physical risk. Because the other champion at uh, light heavyweight, the relevant champion at light heavyweight, is Artur Beterbiev. And Beterbiev is a machine. Um, undefeated. All win- Not only undefeated, like all wins are via stoppage, which is rare in boxing. Um, he's slowing down a little bit. His age might be, is kind of catching up to him, but uh, there's, again, there's a reason he went with Bivol, who turned out to be a very bad tactical matchup for him, but didn't, again, didn't pose a lot of, like, traumatic damage backwards, whereas B, um, Betterbeev does. Betterbeev is a bruising marauder. Anyway. So he he had been making noise about that. He seems to have backed off from it, and uh, for the best, that fight's a waste of everyone's time, apart from the people getting paid. It's a, it, I saw Bevel do what he did, and he'd do it again. The size disparity is just too much, and Bevel's technical application is it bothers Canelo's style a lot. 
So unless you remember to pay off both judges this time instead of just one and assume that everything else is... I shouldn't say that. I can't prove the accusation. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyway. So, Canelo and Crawford, yes please, if we can at all make that. Um, let me, just very briefly, one championship had an event. A um, couple of notable things. Angela Lee retired. Um, she'd been one of the one of the star star potential potential one of the stars that uh, they'd been kind of building around in you know, Singapore and the kind of Southeast Asian area generally. Um, and she'd had some ups and downs. And look, if you like having a good laugh at, you know, the preferred referee of the Lee siblings, um, Angela and then Christian, who fights uh, for one as well. And is a, he might be a two-weight world champion at the moment for them. Can't remember if he's two-weight or not. Um, he's fought in, he's held championships in two-weight classes. I don't know if he held them at the same time, but sorry, neither here nor there. Um, but Angela had been kind of one of the personalities they were building around a little bit, and uh, she penned a fairly open and emotional uh, in the Players' Tribune, I think it was, that um, disclosed a few things. One, she was in a car accident a few years ago that she revealed was a, a suicide attempt. And also kind of confirmed that their youngest sister, Victoria, who passed, I think it was last, earlier this year or last year, uh, forgive me, I can't remember the exact date, uh, they revealed that um, she had committed suicide. And that's, that's heartbreaking, man, on so many levels. Because uh, Victoria was so young. Um... So I I don't talk a lot about this. I have battled depression for a good chunk of my life. I never attempted suicide. I never even had a plan. I did get into what do they call it, like the passive suicidal ideation, which is where you're not trying to kill yourself, but you're kind of okay if it happens. I got to I I've been in that I spent time in that place, um, which. Is not pleasant, I tell you. Um, but so, in the wake of her sister's passing, she retired, and you know, your health and your life is so much more important than fighting. Um, yeah. So that, you know, that's pretty heavy stuff. Um, the big result coming out of that that I kind of wanted to touch on, uh, Stamp Fairtex scored a really nice uh, stoppage. And she seems to be somebody that they're looking to build around a little bit. Um, this would have been for the, this wound up, uh, she beat Siohi Hom, who you may remember from the UFC briefly. They had a pretty good three-round fight, and then Stamp's just body work eventually folded up Hom. Uh, this was the best... I think Stamp and Angela Lee had fought. Uh, yeah, once, and Lee had defeated her. Who was it that Lee split with? Uh, I forget the name. It, it doesn't matter that much. But this was one... What do they call this? One fight night, 14. Um, Stamp Fairtex is... Again, she's pretty good. She's worth your time to 
to watch. Uh, what else happened on that card? Oh, we had a... There was a pretty gnarly finish in um, the uh, women's strawberry. This is Muay Thai. You know, bless one, four-ounce Muay Thai not only is awesome, it's actually getting MMA fans to care about Muay Thai. <laughs> so they found the secret, man, because kickboxing had not found an audience in the U in the United States or in kind of in general since like the early '90s when you know, Chuck Norris had. When American kickboxing was kind of a thing, and it stopped being a thing for a variety of reasons, partly it just kind of got absorbed into MMA. Actually, there's an interesting look at, if you look at the trajectory of MMA, we're still kind of in the period of time when it's predominantly a striking discipline. Kickboxing kind of took, again, this didn't happen right away. You know, early days of the UFC were dominated by jiu-jitsu guys, and then you had the strong wrestlers. And you had the occasional guy like um, Maurice Smith who would break through. But it was a tough go it was tough going for a while, and, you know, even for a little bit longer. You know, Tito Ortiz had a lot of success. Fedor was a wrestling specialist. Nogueira was a jiu-jitsu guy. But slowly but surely, as people started figuring out more and more how to neutralize uh, some of the grappling aspects... The kickboxing just took over. I mean, how long... It wasn't that long ago when it was like, oh, look, here's Israel Adesanya, and Anthony Pettis came from Duke Rufus, who's a kickboxer. And you kind of trace the lineage of it. It's an interesting thing to kind of look at, you know, the sort of long curve of MMA history. Well, it's short, but you know what I mean, like taking the whole thing in perspective. There's a lot of... We hit a period of time when kickboxing as a general rule, kickboxing became the predominant focus of MMA. Uh, and again, I'd actually argue we're still kind of there. So, but it hadn't found kickboxing as its own thing, hadn't really found an audience in the United States in general. Uh, Four-ounce Muay Thai seems to be fixing a little bit of that hiccup. I don't know exactly how they did it, I know a couple of things about how they did it. First of all, it's just awesome. I mean, last week we had that great fight between uh, Superlek and Rod Tang. Watch that if you haven't, man. Free on One's YouTube channel. Nine minutes of fury. Great fight. Um, the fact that One kind of positioned themselves as an MMA promotion and then said, oh, by the way, we'll do a few other things, got a lot of MMA fans to stick around and watch when they otherwise wouldn't. So anyway, that was a pretty good stoppage. Um, anything else happened on there? John Lineker had an okay fight. Uh, yeah, that's kind of it. Mostly you're there for like the top two fights in this case, ending in Stamp Fairtex and Siohi Hom was a that was a fun little fight for as long as it lasted, and Fairtex is kind of awesome. Uh, okay. Also, back to the boxing side of things for some news. Um, they signed it, by all reports. We're gonna get... Uh, Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk, all four belts at heavyweight, including all four belts, and the mythical... and the mythical linear, lineal champion. Um... You know, the man who beat the man who beat the man. That's still Tyson Fury. 
So he's got that and I think the WBO belt, the green one. And then Usyk has every other belt that matters at heavyweight. So they've signed that for December, I think this is 26th. Um, apparently people in MMA are confused by this. Like, wait a minute, doesn't he have a fight close to that against Francis Ngannou? Yes, he does. That should tell you something. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Ngannou has straight up zero shot of winning that fight. That That's a slight disservice to, everyone, to him and, and his team and whatnot. What I am going to tell you is I've seen Francis Ngannou sparring for boxing. It's not great. Now, that's just sparring. Some of it's super light and technical, but there's a lot of reactions he has, ways that he moves, things of that nature that don't bode well for him in a professional bout with Tyson Fury. This is boxing, and Tyson Fury is the better boxer. The better boxer usually wins. So, look, could Ngannou land a Hail Mary? It's not impossible. Might he be the one guy who's had enough power to actually stop Tyson Fury? Not impossible. I'd be a little surprised. My hunch is, you know, Fury uses the first couple of rounds to keep a pace that Ngannou's not used to because boxing rhythm and timing is very, very different from MMA. The pace is different. All that kind of stuff. Then Ngannou gets a little tired. And that's not a knock on his cardio again. It's a pacing thing. It's a rhythm thing. It's all different for boxing. Some soup. Um, there's footage that exists of TJ Dillashaw sparring with Vasily Lomachenko. Dillashaw admitted, you know, yeah, I got tired. The pace and that's not it's three minute rounds. You got to keep a higher activity rate than you do in MMA. Three minutes off for a minute, three minutes off for a minute. Like, it's it's just different. And what is required of you is different. The fact that you're only using your arms is different. The weight of the gloves is different. It's all just different. And if a superbly conditioned athlete like TJ Dillashaw gets a little fatigued doing some boxing rounds, doing it live, again, I don't expect Nganu will have 10-round cardio for boxing. That just seems like something that's not really going to be there for him at this point. And Fury's going to kind of treat this as a big paycheck for a warm-up slash sparring match. That's maybe got some more intensity behind it and some higher stakes, but ultimately that that's what he's doing. And, yeah, this is not actually that uncommon. Hopefully that fight goes through. Usyk and Fury, one of the better fights you can make in boxing. Curious how that's going to go, actually. Smaller guys who are good movers and good technicians have given Fury problems on occasion. Usyk's not a big enough puncher to replicate some of the success that other guys who have that frame and style have. But Usyk is... An exceptional boxer, you know, undis- former undisputed cruiserweight champion. He's he's maybe the greatest cruiserweight of all time. It's either him or Evander Holyfield. Um, 
Yeah, I, if they can make that fight, I will be all over that thing. Great, great fight. So, boxing, hey, I know this is an MMA show, and a lot of MMA fans get insecure when you do stuff like this, but boxing has had a great year. Uh, it has given the boxing fans so much good stuff. I mean, I mentioned Spence Crawford, which we've all been wanting for a while. You had Noah in a way move up in weight. Um, he became undisputed across two different weight classes. Uh, now we're getting, you know, the uh, boxing just had a good year. And there's nothing wrong with saying it. I don't think MMA has had the worst year in the world product-wise, but MMA's had a... When I say it's had a rough year, it's not that the product and the fights have been bad. But... Dude, MMA's 20... Guys, MMA's 2023 started off with the fallout from Dana White getting into a physical fight with his wife on New Year's Eve. And that's... Intentional or not, that kind of set the tone for MMA this year. You don't want it to, but the news has been about how some of the matchmaking has gone, a bit of a watered-down product, fighters being treated improperly. There's been a lot of guys who have kind of backed off the sport this last little bit. We might be hitting, I've mentioned before, there's usually kind of a churn point for MMA fandom, Around the five, around the like three to five year mark. I wonder if there's not another one at the 12 to 15 mark. Um, because that, that three to five year span that will get a lot of people in, excited, and then burned out and leave. That also will track with like the rise or the peak of very popular fighters. And they're then leaving. And people leave when... There's a good chunk of the population of fans that leave when fighters leave. Uh, Fighters they like leave start losing, they stop watching. Not unreasonable, in all honesty. But there is a part of me that also wonders if there's not a... If you survive that first break point, if there's not another one like 2x down the road where it all just becomes a bit much, where the personalities become a bit much where the product homogeneity becomes a bit much, where seeing how the sausage is made becomes a bit much. Like, that's where we are, guys. We know how the UFC exploits fighters. And we know about the pay structure. We know about the slightly watered-down product. We know that they don't care about quality as much because they just got to keep the machinery turning over. I mean, you had Dana White getting into a pissing contest with Steven Espinoza here this last week. Because rumor was kind of circulating about Showtime maybe getting out of the boxing business. Um, which would be... I don't know. I'd be, I'd be sad about that, personally. But And so Dana was like, good, Steven Espinoza sucks. His production sucks. He's... Uh, and, the appropriate response from Espinoza, well, I shouldn't say appropriate, but his response was, we've done our third $20 million gate this year. The UFC's never done that. They're trying with their ticket prices. Boy, are they trying. But, and the crazy thing was Dana's response was, yeah, you did that because of your star boxers. Like, your stars are what draws for you. 
Yeah. Who do you think draws for you? <laughs> I know the UFC has tried everything in their power to make the brand the attraction, but the brand sells TV space. The brand doesn't sell tickets necessarily, unless you go to, you know, markets that are really hard up for it. Which, you know, sometimes they do, in all fairness. But it's, you're, just like boxing, your, your box office is drawn by the box office stars, and you just don't like to pay them. <laughs> so, okay, it's just a severe lack of awareness there by uh, Mr. White, but that's where we are. So, but, you know, look, man, boxing's had a good year. The UFC has just, man, there, there hadn't been a lot of buzz this year. Like, we're going into the end of the year, and they're trying. We've got you know, some good fights coming up. Uh, Makashev and Oliveira, too, is a darn good fight. Jones and Miocic is, uh, you know what's going on there, but, dude, if that ends with Jones retaining and retiring, it puts heavyweight in a lurch, but I don't care. We've got, you know, the light heavyweight title fight, which is okay. I'm not complaining about it. Uh, but you also got, like, Leon and Colby on the actual last main event, and that one, like, I get it, but I'm not one of those guys who says I don't think Colby's a needle mover. I do question... I'm afraid of this. I know he draws good metrics and numbers, depending on how you want to look at your metrics. I'm sure he draws better numbers than Bilal Muhammad, which is not to say that they shouldn't have given Bilal Muhammad the title shot. They should have. He earned it. I'm on record with that more than once. Uh, but they also indicated, I think Dan indicated, that they have a fight for Muhammad that's signed, but they're not announcing it yet, or they're about to, so logically, I think one of the only guys left for him there would be Kamaru Usman. And if he wins that, you cannot deny him. Um, so, but again, is the question is not, is Colby more of a needle mover and an attraction than Bilal Muhammad? The question is, is he enough of a bigger draw than Muhammad to justify upsetting the meritocratic arguments? And that I'm not as convinced of. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying I haven't seen the evidence. But I, MMA has just had kind of a weird year. It's not been bad, but I can't I can't sit up here and say, boy, banner year for the sport. It really hasn't been that. Whereas boxing has had one of its better years. What's the, the other big boxing fight? Yeah, we got tanked at uh, Javante Davis and Ryan Garcia. That was a boxing lesson and a half for Garcia. Um, but you know, boxing's delivered this year. Look, a couple of years they haven't. I'm happy to say that too. But they have this year, and that's where we are. All right. Um, let's see. Last thing I have here. Ah, I was half hoping to get out of here in under an hour, but yeah, you know, that took some talking. So last thing I have here. Um. So, more and more noise coming out about the PFL buying Bellator, more people reporting that that's what's going to happen. We know a little bit about, in theory, the plans now. They're talking about the PFL buying Bellator and then keeping it running as Bellator. 
this is very weird to me. Now, it might be temporary. If you'll all recall, let me, a little history lesson here. When the UFC bought Pride way back in the day, the original plan, as stated, was to keep Pride operational and then, you know, have super cards a couple of times a year with Pride and UFC crossover. That wound up not being feasible, especially the more they dug into Pride's financing, because that's involved, like, the Yakuza. And it, it just got ugly, and they eventually decided this isn't worth it. Because when that story broke, the, like, television properties, the television companies decided they weren't going to air Pride. And if you're not on TV, you know, I'm not saying you're worthless, but well, at the time, you might have been. Actually, if you go back to that period of time when they bought them, yeah, not having a TV deal meant you weren't worth a whole lot, apart from maybe your roster. So the UFC just brought all the assets over in the tape library and everything. They did kind of a similar thing with Strike Force, if you'll recall, when they bought them. They said, it's still the UFC, yeah, we'll let Strike Force do business as usual, and they did for a little bit, and then they folded it up. So, if there's, like, broadcast contracts in place for PFL for a bit longer that they're going to see out, that's not out... That might be the logic here, and then very soon we'll see them folded into the PFL. Because, look... Dude, Bellator doesn't have value outside of a pretty deep roster, uh, a, a, t a deep tape library of fights and fighters that you can put together. And... The roster, because they have a, they have a good roster. I've said this before, man. Bellator doesn't have the highest percentage of world-class athletes in the sport. That's still the UFC by a pretty significant margin. But there's a few different divisions where Bellator could lay claim to having the best or one of the best in that weight class on their roster. You could argue Johnny Eblen is the best middleweight. I'm not sure I'd buy it, but you could argue it. You could absolutely argue Vadim Nemkov as the best light heavyweight in the world. Somewhat kind of pursuant to seeing how um, Yuri Prochka and uh, Alex Pereira plays out. But you could argue Nemkov, and I wouldn't disagree with you too much. Uh, <laughs> and, oh, who was the other one they have? I think we're at the point where Pitbull might be a little bit past it, so I'm not sure I can include him. Um, Sergio Pettis has turned into a decent bantamweight. Or is he still flyweight? I can't remember. No, I think he's, I think he's still bantamweight. Um, but I might be wrong about that. Uh, don't quote me. But, you know, he's still, Sergio's still a very good, um, he's still a very good fighter. There's a few guys at, like, bantamweight that they could benefit from. Um, oh, yeah, um... Usman, Usman Nurmagomedov, is, he fights for Bellator, he's one of the, he is absolutely a top tier um, talent in that way, class. So, there's talent there that you would like to add to your roster. I don't know that, again, outside of, con, outside of, like, seeing out the contracts for broadcast deals, I don't know that Bellator, as an independent entity, has much value. 
if Bellator had a lot of value as an independent property, it wouldn't be being sold. Is, you know, kind of the thought process here. Uh, so, any, but we'll keep you up to date on that. That does seem to be going through. So, yeah, more news as it becomes available to us. It's what I'm here for, what I do. All right, uh, let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. All right, nope, Sue, plugs. Uh, I covered some professional wrestling stuff last week. MLW on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday. I am... Because there was no UFC event on Saturday, I kind of got roped into covering NXT's No Mercy, which was largely forgettable, with a couple of exceptions. One, the awful finish to a great match between uh, Pete Dunne, Butch now, former Pete Dunne, and Noam Dar. Those two were having a... That thing was like north of... was four stars and going up, and then the ending... Uh, the ending just just killed it. Killed it dead. That's uh, that was unfortunate. Um, plus side, Ilya Dragunov. Uh, that man is a machine. Um, he and Carmelo Hayes. Absolutely excellent match. My hats off to both of those gentlemen. Um, that was great. And a fine enough hardcore main event. Uh, between a couple of girls. Becky Lynch and Tiffany Stratton. I, you don't care. I just don't want to... If I say a couple of girls, it comes across as dismissive. It's more that I know most of you don't care. Then I then I think poorly of it. It was fine. Um, never quite hit, like, third, fourth gear, but it was... Eh, it was all right. So there was that. Um, so I covered that uh, this week. Damn You Hollywood on Monday will be for Saw X. So tune in for that number one movie of the weekend. Um, myself, Mark Radlich, and will Alexis be on that, or are we looking at like Jason? Hang on. Alrighty. Sorry, Tuesday, not Monday. Tuesday. We had to move stuff around. I think that means Ronnie then. Uh, why is that not listed? I don't know. Sorry, some stuff got moved around recently, so... It'll be me and Mark at a bare minimum. Uh, so we'll review that. I've been hearing good things about it, and the Saw franchise, it's been up and down. Um, genuinely love the first one, really enjoy the second one, actually. Three, things get a little dicey, then like four and five, things go a little off the rails, and yeah, it's a weird... The trajectory of the Saw franchise is quite weird, all things considered. Um, but I've been hearing good things about 10, so Tuesday, we'll find out. Um, all right. Then my usual spate of coverage, MLW on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, UFC event on Saturday. Next week, we'll be back here to review UFC on ESPN Plus 87, and we will preview UFC on ESPN Plus 88. Headlined by Sadiq Yusuf and Edson Barboza. Also on that card... How's that card looking? That... Hang on, hang on. Okay. Odd choice of co-main event, considering the rest of the card. That's actually a little bit better on paper than this week's card. 
maybe a worse main event. I don't know. Dawson and Green or Yusuf and Barboza. Man, I love that. I have deep respect for Edson Barboza, but he's he's over the hill. But there's some good fights there, man. Jonathan Martinez and Adrian Yanez will be... That'll be pretty good. David Dvorak and Tatsuro Tyra. Tyra getting a step up. Cameron Simon's back in action. I kind of like his stuff. Yeah, you know what? For a for a turn-the-wheels fight night on paper, next week, actually pretty good. Full preview next week. All right, that's it for me. Thank you all very, very much, as always. I deeply appreciate and respect all of the support that you're able to give the show. Like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, sharing around, words of encouragement. You can find me on Twitter if you're interested in that. I'm at WinFreeMMA. Anything and everything like that. So thank you very, very much. Coming down the home stretch of 2023, it's been a crap year. It's not been a great year like in the general scheme of the world. You know, we had some bad fires, different parts of the world. Morocco had those terrible earthquakes. And I've talked a little bit about this last week. Like, personally, it, it's been crap. Um, some some really unfortunate stuff has happened this year, but I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say 2024 can't be worse. We all know better, don't we? And considering it's an election year here in the United States, weirdness will abound. It always does. That's not conspiratorial. I promise that's not a crazy conspiracy theory thing. It's just to say election years come around. Everybody wants to capitalize on everything. So things get weird. It's an observation. All right. I'll see you all next week. Thank you again. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.